the best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Clauses by Design. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Imagine your home totally organized with Closets by Design. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN. The teams, they're not, they're not putting that genie back in the bottle. We're, we're where we are, and it's moving in that direction. Uh, you know, until the Supreme Court does something different, which I don't expect, uh, this is kind of the world we live in now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week, just before I head to spring training, with uh, a blast from the past a bit, a voice from more recent years of Cardinal coverage. It is, of course, Mark Saxon, now a reporter and writer at Better Collective, but you know him well from his years on the baseball beat with both uh, ESPN and The Athletic. Mark, it's great to catch up. And we have we have Hall of Fame results to talk about. Oh my goodness! Always a fun time of year to talk baseball, and it's good to be with you, DG. I feel like we're uh, at like a, a bar near uh, <laughs> you know, in Cincinnati or Milwaukee or one of the, all those cities we traveled around together to, and we're just kind of shooting the breeze. So here we are again. Those long nights in Jupiter, right, where we would just <laughs> wander over from the ballpark to one of the places there. Um, yeah, so you had Roland uh, on your ballot. Roland Scott Roland, uh, eight-time Gold Glove winner, uh, Cardinal for seven years, uh, champion with the Cardinals in 06, uh, an, an all-star with the Cardinals in each of his first four seasons with the Cardinals, um, elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, off to Cooperstown, and our mutual friend Tyler Kepner made the point that he got in by five votes which is fitting because five is the number um, for the score he uses for his position, an right. underrepresented position mm-hmm. in the hall. Um, as we've discussed a lot on this podcast, he's the 18th third baseman. You voted for him. Um, mm-hmm. Were you, how'd you feel like his chances were as you put pen to paper? Did you expect this rise to continue for him? Yeah, that's a good question. So last year, I think because he, he did clear the 70% uh, threshold, didn't he, or somewhere in that vicinity? He got 60, just 60. Okay, 60. He, two years but ago, he cleared 50. Yeah, Got it. I guess the trends were sort of going in that direction, but I really, other people might have been more confident that, they, that he would get in than I was, um, just because I hadn't really studied the patterns of, of the hall that much. You know, as a voter, I tried to, you know, just keep my, my portion of it as the thing I paid attention to, but I agree with you. I mean, it's, I love when complete players are the ones we're paying attention to who who do a lot of things well versus just hit. And so for a guy who, like you said, was such a great two-way player, it's really good to see him get in. And, you know, I've wrestled with his candidacy to some extent over the years. I voted for him two of the last three years. I did not in 2022. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious that some of the PED guys falling off the ballot made a, made it a little bit easier to find room for Scott Rowland. And I think that positional part, too, is so key. You cannot evaluate these guys outside of their positions. So 
if there are that few third basemen, we need to take a harder look at why, you know, we're being maybe too too difficult on a, on some of these third baseman candidates, expecting them to hit 50 home runs and 100 <laughs> RBIs every year. So it is really cool to see that happen. And, it, and it's especially cool at a position like third base, which it's just so fun to watch those guys make plays. And now, you know, Cardinals fans are lucky to have Arenado, who's kind of kind of the same kind of guy down there. How is your voting kind of evolved? How many how many years have you voted now? It's it's more than ten, right? Boy, I want to say it's it's getting near ten. I don't think it's quite been that long. Okay, but this was my ninth. Yeah, it's been enough now, and I, I've I've been in, and I think you're in probably the same boat. You go through all these waves for a while. All you could talk about was the PEDs and how yeah. what stand you were going to take there, and now it's kind of evolving. But I do think for me. The big takeaway is we got to keep fresh players going into the Hall of Fame. And if there's going to be this huge block of hardline voters, I, I don't know. I, I think there need to be more players going in than just this sort of stingy one or two every year where, you know, half of these guys are coming out of the Veterans Committee or whatever they're calling that now anyway. And I, I don't the think Eric committee. Yeah, right. The Eric yeah, committee. Yeah. I don't think we're getting players in the in the Hall of Fame at, at the rate that we should. And I don't know if you agree with that, but I would like to see that sort of pick up and us have conversations about, you know, what is a Hall of Famer? Yeah. You know, in, in the most recent episode here, Best Podcast in Baseball, you know, Kevin Wheeler kind of when I talked about my ballot and and. Mm-hmm. I said, I kind of have come to the notion that I'm okay, that I, I, I entered thinking I'm a small hall guy. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of still am a smallish mm-hmm. hall mm-hmm. guy, but I'm becoming a big ballot voter. Yeah. And, and I, I think those things coexist. I think, you know, a small hall and a big ballot because like everybody I vote for is not going to get in. I have to mm-hmm. be ready for that. I have to be ready for that possibility. But, you know, you think back to like Scott Rowland, right? He got in his first year on the ballot, Mark, he got around 40 votes, right? So 10%. So just he got he got twice as much as he needed to stay on the ballot. He needed 21, 22 ish, got 43. And you think about it like that, like if he had if the ballot had been crowd or if somebody hadn't put him on there. Um, I voted for him that year. You know, obviously a, a couple dozen of us did. Several mm-hmm. dozen of us did. Um, but if several dozen less don't because they're trying to fit all the other guys into it, um, he falls off and never has this chance. And with Ted Simmons, the fact that he fell off on the first ballot was kind of used against him in the Veterans Committee for a while. And yeah. it will be probably again with Jim Edmonds because he was one and done. And Kenny Lofton, who was one and done. And yet they should get more of a hearing than they do. And you're right. So I kind of am like growing into this notion of like better to have the big ballot so that somebody sticks around on the off chance they get this swell of deserving attention that like a Bobby Abreu that maybe we like just have a greater appreciation for his career and it takes time for that to grow. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I actually went through a very similar journey as you. I always sort of called myself a small hall kind of guy. And I I wasn't going to vote for, you know, maybe a guy who was, you know, made a bunch of all-star teams, but got really didn't get MVP votes, right? He wasn't the elite of the elite. I really think it should be the elite of the elite. But again, if a large block of voters are going to completely – um, the minute any any player was linked in any way to PEDs, 
just say absolutely not. And and by the way, people, right. you know, Gary Sheffield was was a Balco customer, and he and he got a lot of votes, you know, this time around. Um, yeah, I voted for him every time. Yeah, and I voted. Well, I, for I guess when I didn't have room on the ballot, I didn't. Right, and so that's the problem when if the if the some of us like you and I who who are willing, you know, who. I guess neither. I, I, we should be clear that neither you nor I are endorsing like using PDD. Yeah, right, the right. idea being like you can't tell the history of the '90s and the early 2000s in baseball without talking about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, and they should be in this museum. That's I think how we feel. But again, yeah. they're crowding out deser- other deserving guys who maybe Scott Rowland falls in that category or did before this year. And I agree, Jim Edmonds is a guy who has a great argument for being snubbed. He's one of those those guys who's right up there for me right now. So is Kenny Lofton for me. I think, yes. you know, yeah. Kenny Lofton may have had a chance for kind of the Tim Raines kind of rise, right? Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. isn't getting it. Um, you know, I, I've i long held that I would feel differently about my votes if they put the transgressions on the plaques, right? And yeah. I know they're never yeah. going to do that, right? Yeah. But it would make me feel differently about it. And I have voted for Bonds and Clemens um, mm-hmm. when I had room on the ballot, because then it was like, well, mm-hmm. these are the 10 players and um, I don't need to use the tools at my disposal to carve it up. But um, you, you're, I want to ask you about more specifically about like third base. And um, I am, I, I admit that I, I, it's my favorite position. It's one of my favorite positions to watch. It's just, I I'm fascinated by the players who have, have, uh, have played it. My, my favorite player as a kid played third base, um, you know, not as a real little kid, but as I kind of grew into a, a daily baseball fan and tracked it down and understood it better. Um, Robin Ventura was my favorite player and you, you know, just the way he played it coming out of college, a great college player, one of the greatest college players ever. And then into the pros to play third. Um, you know, I just always was fascinated by the discipline of third base, like all it took, right. The cleanup hitter, and great fielder, you know, these were the all around players. Um, you watch Roland, um, but also watch Beltre a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he's on the ballot next year. Um, I mean, yeah. How would you kind of compare those two? I've long felt, and this is the last few years, kind of really similar cases, you know, Beltre, Beltre may have the slightly stronger case overall. Mm -hmm. Um, but as great as those guys were, there were a lot of times they were on teams where they weren't the best player, right? I, I think yeah. of you know, Beltre in, in Seattle when I was covering him a lot of those years. And even in Texas, you know, at time, he wasn't necessarily the dominant player when they had Josh Hamilton or even Michael Young. So, But again, guys who played a long, long time and were incredibly consistent and were at a position that, you know, we've sort of talked about earlier, is underrepresented. Um, so I really think those guys are similar cases. Um, maybe they don't, they're sort of the opposite of sort of the Kofax um, rule where you have these six just oh, good absolutely yeah. dominant seasons. Instead, you have 15 to 16 great seasons. So, you know, maybe not the elite of the elite, but just really, really good, 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 good players for a long time. And I think they both fall into that category. And mm-hmm. Again, if we're going to keep the elite of the elite out who were putting up these absurd numbers, but also got linked to these substances, then we have to let the Scott Rollins and these types, you know, the people who are maybe that next tier from a Barry Bonds into the Hall of Fame because we're just not, we need to supply players 
it's a, you know, it's a, ultimately it's something fun for people to do, visit this museum and right. who's in it. You got to have people going in it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. Beltre uh, 3000. I mean, he's going to be a first ballot guy next yeah, year. So. It's a really interesting question, whether or not Roland held over, um, how would he compare against Beltre and would they go in together? It sure seems like it's setting up for Todd Helton and uh, Beltre to be kind of the leaders in the class next year. We'll see where Joe Maurer fits into yes. that too. He'll be a first time guy next year. Um, you know, real quick aside, it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we had all this pageantry and all this countdown of all the, all the records that Albert Pujols set this past year. And I, you know, he's the all time leader in career hits for some, for a player born in the Dominican Republic. And the record he broke was Adrian Beltre's. Wow. No, how about that? That is amazing. Yeah. I would have thought, um, I don't know, Vladimir Guerrero, somebody like that, but that's, that's that's a good name. Interesting. Adrian Beltre is also Nolan Arenado's favorite third baseman as far as defensively. And, you know, we thought it was just a thrill to get a signed glove. I think it's a signed glove. Yeah, signed glove from him. And uh, then I talked to Adrian Beltre there at Dodger Stadium right before Albert Pujols' 700 home run. And he told me that Arenado's the best ever to a defensive. Oh, players. that's cool. That's really that. cool. Yeah. You know, so, you know who was a good third baseman I think it's lost in the shuffle? Robin bit. Ventura. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, you're always going to say that. We could be talking about, you know, Eddie Matthews or, yeah. uh, you know, Mike Schmidt, and you're going to throw Eddie Matthews is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Chavez back, because he, yes. he was in the same division with Beltre. Those guys played some mean third base. That was fun to watch in some of those games. Yeah, he stood out. You know, Roland and Beltre are the guys who kind of get to that 70 war, that magic number. Right. Well, whatever number you want to put it as, if it's 60 or above 50 where you start looking at Hall of Famers. But like the 70 war with greater than 20 defensive part, like greater than that 20 or more of that war is coming from defense. It's only Beltre and Roland when it comes oh, to third base. But, you know, Chavez is right there as far as defensive war. Just a, a guy who really, you know, he, one of the things about Beltre is so good defensively, but didn't win a whole lot of gold gloves, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, um, it doesn't have as many as Roland. Uh, has, you know, Nolan Arenado already has twice as many. Um, and Nolan Arenado's next gold glove will make him the NL's all-time leader, surpassing Mike Schmidt. But one of the reasons why is because of Eric Chavez, right? Like, didn't they line up? Isn't that why Beltre doesn't have more? Oh, I'm sure that's the case. Yeah. And, you know, Eric Chavez was a pretty good hitter, too. Um, Yeah. He didn't stay healthy. That's that's one thing when you talk about these guys like Beltre and Roland. You know, I know Roland had had a lot of injury uh, issues later, but Beltre was just incredibly durable. You know, he had. Yeah, that's something about that position, man. It's it's hard. And like one of the things about third base that really stand out to me is it is a demanding position physically, both what you're expected to do hitting wise with power and what you're asked to do defensively by covering ground or quick reaction or running in. It's a very. You know, it's not involved in everything, but it's always moving, right? It's not the shortstop, but it's next to shortstop. Um, yeah. Both both figuratively and literally. Um, but it's also a thing where if your glove is so good at that position, but your bat starts to falter a little bit because you get beaten up a little bit, you stop playing. Yeah. But if your bat plays above the position, then they move you to first. It's just <laughs> a, such a – right? Or the outfield, right? Yeah, it's just a the fascinating – position in that regard 
I think that adds to the fascination, though, and I'm, I'm kind of like you. I've always really enjoyed watching third baseman. I think one of the fun parts of it is, unlike shortstop, where you can kind of outgrow the position, you can put a really big guy at third as long as yeah. he's a heck of an athlete. He's going to make great plays, and that's probably where Scott Rowland falls in here, right? I don't know how – he just seemed like a huge guy over there. 6'4", 240, a linebacker playing third base, yeah. Yeah. He was like a – actually, you know what? But to be more honest, he was a free safety playing third base. And uh, and he would talk about that. Like he thought just like tackle the base, like just go smother it and make the play. Um, (laughs) You know, it's a lot – it's a little different than Arnado who plays it who plays third with a style more of someone who grew up watching um, like A-Rod and those guys play shortstop. Like mm-hmm. you, you think of some of the things that Arnado does defensively. Um, and it, it, there are moments where he does that jump throw or he does the jump throw from, from the foul territory. And it's like, Oh, well that's a shortstop. You know, that's a guy who saw whoever Troy Tulowitzki, you know, beside him do it. And Troy Tulowitzki saw Jeter do it and those kind of things. And then I also think that like Nolan Arnado plays third a little bit like uh like a soccer goal scorer, like a forward, mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. guy who has a nose for space yeah. and where to intercept the ball. Um, because you see like the play in Arizona where Arnado times it so that he is a step past the ball when it comes down from a high bounce so that he can catch the ball as he's in his throwing motion. Like yeah. that kind of stuff, that awareness and space and everything and knowing where he's going to meet the anticipating where he's going to meet the ball. That's a that's a soccer goal scorer kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, I think of almost a Patrick Mahomes. If you watch him play quarterback, the way he's able, right. he turns his body to make the ideal throws and uh, you know different you know throwing from one foot, you know uh, backhand throws. Arenado kind of reminds me at times of that kind of athlete, just extremely um, adaptable to the situation and trusting his athletic ability and not necessarily doing it because he's practiced it a, a given way a thousand times, but really kind of freelancing. And, and those are the most exciting plays, I think, on any kind of athletic field. Is your feel after these years of voting for the Hall of Fame and kind of, and being a baseball fan that, you know, Roland goes in, Beltre goes in. Um, you have guys like Manny Machado right now, Nolan Arnato, who we've spoken about, um, you know, just a really a remarkable era of third baseman right now. Do you do you think that like we're uh, 10, 15 years away from third base being well represented in the in the Hall of Fame, even if maybe the attention that Roland gets or Beltre gets brings Ken Boyer back into the conversation? Yeah, there's another name, Ken Boyer, you know, on the defensive end. Absolutely. You know, yeah, five gold at. gloves. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, and the fact is, you know, in the era that Ken Boyer played in, you know, not a lot of guys were hitting 40 home runs, you know, right. like they did in subsequent eras. So you have to sort of grade them on, you know, the the standards of their era. Um, it could be. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. I'm sure there are way more shortstops than there are um, third basemen. Um, you know, I guess overrepresented seems like we're a, a bit a ways from, but yeah, Adequately it, represented, it's a yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I think much. I think that you know Nolan Arenado is, is is certainly approaching lock status for the Hall of Fame, and Manny Machado probably isn't that far off either. A few more good years for him, and maybe no more good years, and Arenado is already there, given the the, the defensive hardware you talked about. So yeah. um, that's a premium position. You cannot, you know, you have to look very very hard at the defensive side of it. 
was really yeah it's fascinating yeah um ken boyer won five gold gloves and you know he i i was looking this up ron santa was the first third baseman to win a gold glove in the same year he had 30 home runs and 100 rbis yeah and it just didn't happen very often it you know it happened something like five six times i guess i'm sorry that's all right it happened like 11 times seven of them mike schmidt yeah, <laughs> um, in the first whatever forty years of the NL Gold Glove, Nolan Arenado's done it seven times, so mm-hmm. he's already matched Mike Schmidt for the number of years with thirty, a hundred, and a Gold Glove, and it's just now it's almost expected at that position that you're That's good right. enough to win a Gold Glove and also providing that level. I mean, it's counting stats, but yeah, I mean, but that still is an illustration of how the position has changed. Yeah, I think it's kind of a magnification of the game in general. There, there's no position anymore where you don't have to hit, and, and that's right. including shortstop and catcher. So there used to be, you know, you know, uh, Brooks Robinson. You were either a great fielder or a great hitter, and then guys like you know Johnny Bench came along and changed how people looked at catcher. Even though Yogi Berra had done it to some extent too, just great on both ends. Then you saw Mike Schmidt do that. You know, at third right. base, even though Eddie Matthews had done it before. So it's not quite as novel as we think it is. But to see the all around player again, those are the guys who are just who are just so fun to watch, I think, because they're competing every second they're on the field, whether they're in yeah. the field, whether they're in the batter's box, whether they're running the bases. And I think Arenado falls into that category. I think Paul Goldschmidt falls in those categories. Those are the kind of guys who I enjoy watching a lot in the game. Do you think that they're they're the hall of famers on the Cardinals team. I would think so at this point. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I think Wainwright is interesting um, because people need to understand that he, you know, missed those, you know, really those prime prime starts in the middle of his career when he was at his very best with injury. Um, That needs to be alibied a little bit. If he has a great year this year, I think he'd be an interesting case. But, you know, aside from that, you know, with Yachty having retired, it does seem like those are the two guys, doesn't it? My Yeah. I mean, I, I think Goldschmidt is going to be a really interesting one. Now he's got the MVP. We'll see how long he plays. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, he starts to accumulate those counting stats. Nolan could get to 500 home runs, which is, yeah. I mean, obviously he's got to do it now in a ballpark that is hard to hit. But, you know, he, he, he made strides and he's just – he. I think I think he's kind of primed for a remarkable season, to be honest, with mm-hmm. some of the work he's done um, and sort of where he is in his career. Um, and also like the influence that Goldschmidt has had on him about like what's possible at at that middle 30 age. Um, this is my this. is. Are you ready for my standard answer on Adam Wainwright? Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. OK. All right. Adam Wainwright's going to be in Cooperstown at some point. He's going to yeah. be a Hall of Famer. Um, it's a question of whether or not he goes in as a pitcher or a broadcaster. That's it. It's just a matter of the wings. He's he's going to, at some point in time, he'll be in Cooperstown, whether it's a pitcher or in the broadcast wing, it'll happen for him. Sort Um, of the Don Drysdale uh, approach, huh? Yeah. 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 It's going to be a heck of a speech whenever it happens. He might bring out like his guitar or something like that. (laughs) I think, I think Wainwright is so popular within the game. That's going to help him as well. You know, like absolutely. I know so many writers from around the country are like, Oh man, the one time I talked to Adam Wainwright, that was one of the best interviews I ever had. So that probably won't hurt either. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it (laughs) tricky for the local guy though, man. Stop giving all the interviews to no, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's talk about like your new gig because I think like what you're doing now 
um i mean it's the future right like we're, we're all we all need to know this better all of us whether it's fans or writers or even like people who tune in occasionally for games because it's gonna be it's gonna fill our eyes right betting is gonna be we have we're gonna have to look through it to see the game right a little bit yeah so i would say this so let's let's take it you know here in in Missouri, we don't have legal sports betting yet, so people may not be quite as uh, attuned to what happens. But the minute they launch in this state, nobody who's listening to this who lives in the state of Missouri will be able to turn on any sporting event and not see a an advertisement from one of the big sports books. Like really, every other commercial is going to be one of those. And the reason for that is when states launch sports betting. All of these companies are absolutely falling all over themselves to accumulate as many customers as they can early because that's their only um, path to making money. They're going to lose a ton of money early on in every state, and they know that. They go in with these huge acquisition costs. But what they're all hoping is that when the industry shakes out in the United States, when it's legal in all 50 states or however many are going to eventually legalize it, once California falls, once Texas falls, once Florida figures out what it's doing, they want to be the one with the most customers because that's the best path to long-term sustainability. So that's why it is important. That's why everyone's paying so much attention to sports betting right now, including the teams. And if you look at what the Cardinals are dealing with now with their regional sports network, uh, the Sinclair Group may be potentially facing bankruptcy and yeah. some of those carriage rights maybe not coming through, then what are you going to do? You're going to look for other forms of revenue. What's a really fast emerging uh, source of revenue for teams, leagues, everybody? It's sports betting because it's a new industry. It it makes people watch games longer because it could be a nine nothing Cardinals loss in July. But if you have over 10 runs scored, you might keep watching. Or if you have, you know, Goldschmidt hitting a home run and he's got two more at bats, you might keep watching. So they call that engagement. That's another reason why leagues, teams, and everybody else are really interested in sports. Uh, gambling because betters watch more TV. They watch more games and they watch them for longer. So all that and they watch them live and they watch right. them live for they do and they watch them live because that's another aspect of this in play betting. You can bet on what the next pitch is going to be if you're at the right sports book. So whether you're streaming the game or you're at the game, you can get in involved with that and. What has a lot of plays in a given game? A baseball game, right? Oh and they, gosh, yeah. it takes a while to deliver the ball. So that really sets baseball up well. And, you know, Manfred has even referenced this. They have the perfect kind of pace of play for in-play betting. And I think that that will be a growing uh, source of sort of entertainment for baseball fans as well as growth for the sport. And I think they're looking at that closely. This, this may be, uh, I hope I'm asking the question right. So let's say we have four ma- major team sports in going right now, and I'll include the MLS in that because Car- St. Louis is getting the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have obviously the NBA, NHL, NFL, and MLB, the, the four that have kind of been the, the, the big four over the last whatever many decades, right, 50 years. Um, 
are are there varying degrees of ways these these leagues have embraced the presence of of betting? Yeah, I think the short answer is they've they've all jumped in with both feet okay. <laughs> squarely at this point. The NFL probably was the slowest to go like full circle and really jump in, but boy, that that ship has sailed at this yeah. point. I mean, they they have all sorts of partnership deals with DraftKings and, and and everybody else. And in fact, I think what you'll see eventually is what they call a one screen experience where you're watching the game on whatever device you're watching on it, and you can bet on the game through scrolling odds that are appearing on your screen. And they're all shooting for that happening eventually. But, you know, there are some regulatory and and streaming issues, technical issues to get through. But eventually, I think that's what they're all hoping will happen. What, What You and I both came into baseball when it was still deep into the century of distrust of gambling that comes from 104 years ago um and then you know was reinforced with the ban of pete rose uh what what, how do you feel about this do you do you you, i mean do you go oh well it's inevitable or is there still like an element of like ah something about this with baseball feels off i guess for me as i've kind of been a lifelong sports better and i you know i kind of grew up around it my dad you know was taking me to the track and would always have action on the nfl and whatnot um so for me, it does. It feels kind of normal, but I can see that being an issue for a lot of people. I really can't, especially you know, you know, there is there some hypocrisy with with the Pete Rose situation. You know, the league would say no because he bet on the sport, and you're still not allowed to bet on your own sport. And I think right. that's clear to get that out there. And we saw, you know, Calvin Ridley of the Atlanta Falcons get in trouble right. for doing that. You know, betting on the NFL. So it, there, there do need to be some. Uh, safeguards in place. You don't want your active athletes betting on their own sport. It's just not a good look in terms of, um, you know, the, the the conflict of interest there. So you're going to have those kind of things. But in terms of like the leagues embracing it, I, I guess it doesn't bother me as much. I think the key aspect is if you're going to embrace it, you also have to recognize that there's an addiction side to it. And it's important that the NFL continue to give money um, MLB continue to give money and to encourage people if it is getting out of control, if their life is starting to go sideways, or if it's the only way they can get joy or excitement out of the world, that something might be wrong. And you need to take a look at that. So problem gambling needs to be better funded. And I think, I think you'll see people come along to that once some of the problems of sports betting start adding up in these states and, and really hitting, yeah. hitting, hitting, kind of coming to a head. How do you think it might alter the coverage of the game? And, and like inside baseball, it already has a little bit. And, yes. and people probably have noticed this with the lineups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they used to be posted, right? And we would tweet them out and everything like that. And they still are, but they usually go out to betting sites first. Ah, once they are, yeah. um, okay, that's what the delay is sometimes. So like like fans are like, why haven't we seen the lineup? Why haven't we seen the lineup? Well, it, it goes to the commissioner's office first so that there's not like the leak of the lineup that then could shape the betting. Right. Um, yeah. Like if there's a late scratch or something like that. So that's, that's why. And so you, you, a lot of times, you know, it'll go up on say like a betting app or on the MLB app at the same time. And then shortly after that, you'll see like 
stories with the lineup updated or tweets from folks. And that's because that's the process is way different than it used to be that you and I both know. I mean, you'd walk into the, into the clubhouse and there would be a lineup posted that would be there for the players to see. Um, now it's really restrained, like the information on the lineup. And that's just one small way. Um, what are some other ways we might see this change the coverage of the game? Oh, here's a good one. I think you're going to like this. And in fact, I might I might scare you a little bit because All right. I can guarantee you, you've had a tweet that has changed lines before. Okay. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like people need to remember, it's not just games here that people are betting on. Um, <clears throat> since December, you've been able to bet on, for example, which team is going to win the 2023 World Series, right? Yeah. And when Derek Gould tweets the cardinals have a preliminary deal in place with wilson Contreras. what do you think happens to the cardinals odds they get shorter right yeah Yeah. Yeah. so now what happens when i don't remember who originally broke the story but when somebody breaks the story carlos correa is going to the san francisco giants what happens to the giants odds they get shorter right so what happens yeah can this can this happen like say there so there was an erroneous report that um that aaron judge was right. going or like a or an early tweet whatever you want to call it that mm-hmm. aaron judge was going to the giants did that lead to like a spike maybe in betting that then you know three minutes later when it's like no that's not happening and the giants say no we don't have that deal that then so i mean that's that what what are we doing no, it absolutely does. Here, I'll give you a very specific example. Um, I don't have the judge one in front of me just because I was looking recently looking into the Correa one. Yeah. So when, for example, when the Mets were reported to have signed Carlos Correa, their odds went from plus 900. That means if you bet 100, you'd win 900 on the Mets to plus 650. Yeah. So that means you'd win 650. That's a big drop, right? Yeah. And yeah. then a week later... They went from 650 to plus 750. So your odds got better, obviously, because he signed with the twins. The twins went from plus 6,600 to plus 4,000. The Giants opened at 3,500. So they're plus 5,000 now. The answer is yes. Every one of those tweets changes the lines, and every sports book in the country has to pay attention to all of these reporters, you know, reporting on these incremental developments because it changes all of that stuff. So, yes, it's. It's both this sort of um, constant feedback between media, between betting, between the leagues, and it is going to become more and more complicated because what happens when it's an erroneous report, as you said, it's all it's all out there and it's all just up to the betters now to figure out who's reliable, who's not. But it's it's really kind of fascinating when you think about it in a way. I, I don't I mean, I'm I'm stuck on the fact that like that costs somebody money. Yes. Like an erroneous report is going to cost, well, better or a book money, correct? 100%. That's absolutely and, right. And it's yeah. not a small amount. Right. And some of your sharpest betters, some of your biggest betters who are make, or, you know, think they can make a living at it are the ones who are trying to get that very, very quick edge, that arbitrage, where when John Heyman says... Aaron Judge is going to the Giants. They make the bet right then before the bookmaker can make the adjusted odds. So, yes, it's all going to come into play. And all of that without a single game being played. (laughs) Exactly. It's like the old thing about, you know, 
the winter world series, right? The team that comes out of the meetings always gets all this pub. And then by June, they're usually uh, trading those pieces off or or sometimes they are, which is hilarious. Do you think that's going to, do you think that's going to cause an issue with coverage? I mean, you've done this, you've covered baseball, you've, you've done the hustle to break news on Twitter and to send up a story. And, you know, I mean, do you think that's going to, I, I don't know how we firewall against it. I, I almost feel like we have to like find some way to cover the game. I, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't, I, th- there's something about it that leaves me like a little bit concerned. Yeah. I mean, because the yeah. level of money that would be involved. Yeah. I mean, from a, a reporter standpoint, it's just yet another reason why you got to be right. Right. I mean, I guess that, yeah. that would, that would be one way to put it. Um, but you, you do see some blowback, and we've seen it, especially at the college level. I think it was Miami University. One, one of the college basketball teams, you know, had a bad stretch, and they were really taking a lot of heat from, from gamblers. Uh-huh. And the SID office and maybe even the AD complained about it publicly. It kind of became a story. I think you're going to see more and more of that um, just – you know, the amplification when there is something like that made. And, you know, if, if you lose $100,000 on it, you're probably going to be pretty mad and you're going to take to whatever, you know. So, again, it's just another reminder. You you, you really got to be, you know, have your I's dotted and your T's crossed to, to report something like that because the stakes are enormous, not just for the player, but for a lot of other people as well. And they were taking odds on winners of the different awards and they were taking odds on winner on hall of fame elections. Right. So now there's an element too of, um, voting, right? Like, like, like a, a writer who will know what a ballot is long before it's public, that that is now information that could benefit somebody who would win money off of it. Right. Right. If you look, there are some states that will not allow you to wager on on voted upon categories. New York, for example, which is the number one sports betting country. Great. That's good info. Yeah. So they because of those reasons, you. I mean, think about it. How many guys, how many uh, men and women vote for MVP? Is it 30 or 30? OK, it's 30. 30 and there's only 30 votes. Lead. If you yeah. call five of your friends. And you know who you voted for. You're pretty far along to knowing who's going to win that MVP, right? So yeah. it also raises questions of, you know, reporters potentially um, benefiting financially from inside information. And that's something that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be sh- shocked if at some point that becomes a bit of a scandal, if that were to blow up and they're looking for sort of insider trading. So, yeah, especially yeah. with voting, it's it's a very shady kind of, I think, part of the um, sports betting world at the moment. I think they're going to need to give some greater scrutiny to how that, how those judges, how those bets are judged and mm-hmm. as well as, you know, what goes into the voting. If you think about, you can bet on Super Bowl MVP, for example. And if you think about some of the big events you've been at, uh, Derek, mm-hmm. and they hand you that MVP ballot with about 10 minutes to go and you're on deadline, you probably yeah. don't have quite as long to research it as you want to, Right. But yeah, you don't vote, yeah. and so there's another example of how those can be a little bit bogus. Um, you know, some people yeah. thought, you know, that Matthew Stafford should have been the MVP of the last Super Bowl instead of Cooper Cup. You know, there's an example of that. That's fascinating. I mean, yeah. and it just even if there's not any impropriety, the, I mean, the optics of it is something to be aware of, right? Hundred percent. 
hundred percent. You can see how complicated all of this stuff starts to become when we kind of think it out a little bit more. Wow. Um, what you, you mentioned like, just like that one screen viewing, um, you know, what, what's your feel? I mean, you're a baseball fan. You, 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 you know, this stuff really well, you're, you're covering the stuff, the, the, the betting kind of aspect of it. Um, do you think that, I mean, obviously it kind of adds a video game element to baseball yeah. a little bit, but the stakes yeah. are higher. Mm-hmm. But if you could do like micro bets mm-hmm. on, is this next pitch a strike? Is this next yeah. pitch a hit? Um, man, that's like, I could see how a, I could see how that's appealing and B, I could see how that only further kind of uh, makes addiction acute. hundred percent. Very smart observation. Micro betting. Most, most people view as having tremendous potential for problem gambling, similar to what they call eye gaming, which is where you would bet on slots or you'd play blackjack online. Okay. Um, because there's just so many bets you can make in a small period of time. You think about a baseball game, how many pitches are thrown in the average game? It's over 200, obviously. Oh, yes, 300. Okay, 300. You can bet um, in some markets, you can bet on every pitch, you know, presuming that the guy doesn't fast pitch or something, and then they take it off before you can get it in. But So um, it's like the Apple TV things where they're like the odds of a curveball here, uh, you know, he throws it one out of every four. it's actually the outcome of the, what happens with the pitch. Oh, so oh got, it, got, it, got, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. It's called a seven outcome market. So you've got yes, you've thank got you. Single, double, triple, homer, out, walk, other. You know, I don't even know what the seventh is. I, I think I only named six, but so it's a seven possibilities, and that's how you do it. And you don't have much time between pitches. If they go to a pitch clock, it's going to be what seventeen seconds. Yeah. But compare that to a basketball possession or some other sports. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, well, it's a pause. Yeah, yeah, you have time to do it. Yeah. One of the issues is what they call latency with streaming, or on cable, it's even longer because they wait to make sure that nobody yells a, a word that they can't get on the air or something. But yeah. There's a latency with streaming that's now down to about nine or 10 seconds, meaning if you're in person, if you're at the game, you have an advantage over the mm. person at home streaming it. They need to tighten that up so the advantage isn't as great to make that you know, I think more appealing to people. Um, but once they get all that technology worked out, it's a real opportunity for baseball. And I think, I think you're going to see them embracing that more and more, just that they could be the number one sport for micro betting in the long run. Hey, I don't, I, is, is that a good thing? <laughs> well, I think, I think for baseball, who in, in so many other comparisons with faster sports, with the NBA mm-hmm. or with the NFL, with the way, you know, people think now with short attention spans, I think they probably view it as a good thing um, because it's, it, it's sustainability for them. It gives them an advantage where that they've always yeah. been beaten up over it for. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, the uh, baseball was ahead of the curve, I guess, pun intended with streaming. And we see that with the money that Disney has paid baseball for mm-hmm. the tech. We know that HBO go ran on the back of MLB technology from that MLBAM group. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's may, I mean, you know, they've shown that they can kind of lead the way when it comes to tech infrastructure. Yeah. So maybe that's, that's the opening here. Yeah. I did a story on streaming and there's actually, it's kind of, it, there's two types. There's the, there's the one, one of them was invented by Google. One of them was invented by Apple, but anyway, the one that, that is quicker is the one that they invented for video streaming, you know, mm. 
Zoom calls, things like that. But the quality wasn't as good. So, but, yeah. but it's faster. And so now they're kind of working in that to improve the quality. So you are seeing the latency of these streams come down, but there mm-hmm. still is an advantage to being in person. And that's where I think the Cardinals and, and the Royals and some of the other teams in Missouri are kind of pushing for sports betting because the Cubs are going to have a bunch of people at their stadium doing that, and they're going to get a cut yeah. off every one of those bets. The Cardinals aren't going to get a dime from that. And so you can see how teams in states that don't have sports betting are starting to lobby and push for it. It's really interesting that you you make that point about being at the ballpark because there's a sense that the NFL is not drawing people to the stadium. I mean, they still do well, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. like that the game – experience is better at home mm-hmm. for a football game um and you know in a lot of ways views are better replays food cost <laughs> whatever um you know but part of that is also betting and fantasy right like yeah. if you're at home and you want your fantasy league team to win you can do red zone right and keep up with all of your guys in a way that you can't at the at the stadium um, it sounds like baseball may be on the other side of that, which I think is fascinating, where it rewards the person or it, it invites the person to be in person. Definitely. If you're in play betting, you're, you're better off in person. It just gives you more time to really uh, reset your bet. Um, yeah. You know, they're trying to keep up, but you can definitely get an advantage, an in-person advantage. And that that makes give you another reason i happen to think that agree with you that football is you know it's cold usually they've been cold in the fall and the winter and all of that i would much rather watch a football game on my couch whereas with baseball i'd much rather be in the stadium so i couldn't agree with you more on that so how do you think so fantasy football and how prevalent it is has changed fans relationships with football right in Mm -hmm. in in maybe small ways or big ways where, you know, you might have your allegiance to a team, but you also are along the way just cheering for players. Yeah. What do you think the are some of the fallouts from all of this for not to and fantasy? Obviously, is different than betting, but there's still money on the line in a lot of these cases. Um, what do you think some of the like little subtle fallouts might be for baseball as far as how fans in, enjoy it? I definitely agree with you that it's going to make a lot of people much more attuned to, I think baseball is unique in that it's a very successful sport at the regional level. It's not a successful sport at the national level. So by that, what I mean is, you know, we've heard these sort of unflattering comparisons of how a lot of world series games do nationally versus Super Bowl games or NBA championship, you know, type games, Mm -hmm. but locally the TV ratings are great. You know, here in St. Louis and in other places where they love their baseball team. So regionally, baseball is very strong. I think you'll see a little bit of and I see this happening with a younger generation anyway, who might be more fans of individual players versus teams. Um, If you look at, you know, like a Shohei Otani, who's just such a fascinating athlete because of the way he competes, I think if you think about how young people are just so fascinated with him, I think you might see more of that because these guys are going to just generate such crazy numbers for fantasy or for betting, whatever it is. And you might see a little less allegiance to the laundry in the long run, because the laundry doesn't make people money necessarily. 
Um, so I could see a little bit of splintering, a little bit of um, individual players sort of grabbing people, captivating people's imagination versus, you know, the team and the regional affiliations. But we'll have to see. I mean, all of these things are changeable, of course, but I, I definitely think there's a trend in that direction. You think that it's inevitable that Vegas gets a team? Boy, I, I, I mean, again, if we're if we have sports betting everywhere else, it really doesn't matter. Right. And right. The A's are in such a terrible situation. I don't know why they don't just let them move there or allow that to happen. I don't know all the nuances, but I do. I think is that is that in Nashville, the, all these places will end up with teams. Is that the final kind of surrender for Major League Baseball? Like, hey, Shoeless Joe, hey, we got we see you, buddy, but uh, we're going to Vegas. Yeah, probably so. They should. Yeah. They should name it the Shoeless Joe Press Box, or <laughs> at least the lunchroom, or something. It, they change their name to the Las Vegas yeah. Black Sox, and it's over. <laughs> oh, like, right? Like that's the that's the move, right? The please yeah. go on Twitter immediately and start start lobbying for that, or the Arnold Rothstein. Um, oh my gosh! The, <laughs> oh my goodness! The uh, this is uh, where we are right now, DG. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, look, I I think going like off to spring training, a lot of the conversation will be about like the big story will be how the game is played. And I really think like what you're talking about here and what, what we're discussing is the bigger story. And that's how will the game be enjoyed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that are, are viewed and, and how will fans choose to access baseball and how much money will be at stake now for fans, but also for owners wanting to, uh, to get that revenue stream. So I, I actually think it's like, it might be the biggest story in baseball, um, especially with what's going on with the RSNs and the broadcasts and uh, blackouts and streamings and all that stuff. You, you can see how revenue streams are thinning in a way that owners did not expect to happen this fast. So where's the new one, as you said. So, you know, we all talk about how the game's being played, but the, the bigger deal is how is it going to reach its fans and what is going to be their relationship with it? Yeah. And more importantly, when we talk about spring training, I, I got, uh, I'm setting it at two to one that you're at leftovers or one of the great seafood places in Jupiter within the first three days. What you think I'll win that? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like insider information, like there, there's usually a place that I go within the first 24 hours. So if you knew that one, then like you'd you'd have the edge, um, you know, is it the sub shop? The no, Michaelis no. Memorial subshop. No, but I do get there pretty quickly. No, that that is one that I do. You know, I used to. It, it was for a long time. All right, we're landing in Florida. Welcome to Jupiter. Go to Hurricane Wings. That was the oh, welcome to that Jupiter. Place is good. Yeah, go to Hurricane Wings. Um, leftovers is probably um, a little bit different these days than say fifteen. See, the food is still great. Um, the expense account is different. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> in the old days, you'd have been in there more often, perhaps. Man, newspapers were <laughs> bullish on leftover. Um, but uh, yeah, the the uh, the there are some there. There's one thing here. You ready? This is there is one thing that I like. I do just to kind of entertain myself a little yeah. bit. Is as I approach Jupiter, I uh, I play uh, Randy Newman you know, burn on like at the beginning of major league, just to make sure that like, all right, I'm, I'm going to spring training just like at the beginning of that movie. Gets you in the mental space. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, all right, we're, we're, you know, get a little Randy Newman on the, uh, on the, on the playlist and uh, see what happens. Just, just, just as Donald Ross comes into sight. (laughs) The best. 
I envy you. You're going to have a good time, my friend. Good team. It should be fun down there. Yeah, it'll be an entertaining team. This past year was obviously remarkable with Pujols and all that. Um, it, I'm really eager to see what personality this team takes on with uh, Contreras, Arnado, Goldschmidt. You know, those are the kind of leading personalities on the position player side. Um, you know, Oliver Marmol in his second year as manager um, and his influence um, and his relationship with the players really played into – sort of how, uh, you know, how entertaining. I think for the first time in a while, they had a team that captured the imagination of the fans and entertained them. And, and how they ride that momentum, I think, will be very fascinating to watch. Yeah, and we may as well come for a full circle. So as we were talking, I'm pulling up the Cardinals World Series. Uh, I, I saw they, they one of the books released it not too long ago. They were top 10. Yeah. Uh, they're viewed in the, in the top 10. And uh it's something like 10 to one. I mean, you can still get good odds on the Cardinals to win the world series. So may as well get them in now. And then you have a whole season to sort of, you know, follow along. I enjoy those futures, bets. it's kind of a fun way to get engaged. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how the stories about Jack Flaherty changed those. Right. Exactly. Everything uh, Derek Gould reports all spring will sort of literally, there'll be all these bookmakers will be adjusting those odds. Fascinating. Day by day. That's kind of what it is. And, well, you know what that yeah. means? More subscribers. You know, you come go. on. Yeah. Sign them up. Let's look go on the, look on the bright pay for side. The, pay for the subscriptions. I'm a big fan of that. And maybe they're listening to this best podcast in baseball for, for tips there. And we just have one more listener there. That's something. Uh, gosh, I don't know what to do with. I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I also think that like, um, I, I don't, I'm eager to see how it changes my, my business. Yeah. Um, the business that you and I both really, really love of mm -hmm. base bail riding and, and how how it shapes it. I'm, I'm I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that it, it, it will have some kind of influence on it, which is both. Um, I guess it's better to be aware than surprised by it. No doubt. I think that's a good way to look at it. And that's a good way for fans to look at it as well, because the teams, they're not they're not putting that genie back in the bottle. We're, we're where we are and it's moving in that direction, uh, you know, until. The Supreme Court does something different, which I don't expect. Uh, this is kind of the world we live in now. Mark Saxon, writer, reporter for Better Collective, uh, longtime baseball writers, covered all sorts of teams and uh, covered the Cardinals for ESPN and for The Athletic. Um, good friend. We've known each other a long time. Thank you so much, Mark, for I mean, for really coming on and educating me on this topic and, and humoring me with uh, with my questions. So I thank you very much. It's been great. I will have uh, I warn you, I'll have dozens more. Beautiful. I I really enjoyed this conversation. I don't need to have an excuse to to <laughs> like Derek Gould conversation. But the fact that uh, we put it on tape is all the better. So thanks for this having is me. good. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, next time we'll have it over Steve's hot dogs. OK, <laughs> okay. no, no objections. <laughs> That is Mark Saxon, writer and reporter for Better Collective. You can find his work there. You can also follow him on Twitter, um, unless you probably already do because of the work he did covering the Cardinals. You can find all the constant Cardinals coverage, including the ramping up of coverage for spring training at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you weekly by Closets by Design of St. Louis and will continue into the spring training off to Jupiter 
and into an 11th year of the podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, and that includes iTunes, where you can rate and review the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast because subscriptions make the sponsorships possible. And sponsorships, as you know, as we kind of just all discussed here, make the podcast possible. Mark, thank you very much. Happy spring training. Um, I look forward to catching up, man. All the best, DG. Always a pleasure, my friend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.